Welcome to Relevant Live with Pastor Chris Sarno, a weekly podcast from Relevant Church in Daytona Beach, Florida. We pray this message helps you connect to God as you find your place, reveal your purpose, and unlock your potential. Let's head live to Pastor Chris for today's powerful message. You know, it, it is an honor. I don't take it lightly the privilege that it is to stand in a pulpit and deliver the Word of God. I was doing a workshop today about creating culture, and there was a question about like elevating people, and I, and, I, and I said, you know, promotion is in the hand of the Lord. It's not in the hand of man. And, and I told them how many years ago, when we first started the church, I, I, I would ask Pastor Chris, can I preach? And he said, no. He said, no. And I would get so mad that he would tell me no. I'm like, why? Well, I'm a good speaker. I can preach. And he said, God didn't tell me to have you speak. Promotion is in the hand of the Lord. So I don't take it lightly when he said, hey, it's your time, I want you to step in that pulpit. Because I know it didn't come because I'm his wife. It didn't come because I just pastor in this church. I know that I'm standing here tonight because God gave me a word for each and every one of you. And I believe right now that if you'll just reach up to heaven and say, God, I want everything that you have for me tonight. You know, God gave me a scripture. He's, he's funny with me. God never lets me prepare in advance, and I hate it because I like to be well prepared. Anyone who knows me knows I want to have everything laid out and ready to go, and I do not like waiting till the last minute. I like having my notes two months early so that I can tweak them, and you know that God does not ever let me do that. God gives me six months ago, God spoke a word, scripture to my heart. And he said, eye has not seen and ear has not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for them that love them. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. And he said, that's what I want you to talk about at conference. And I said, oh yes, God, this is gonna be good. It's January and I already have part of my message. And and that was all he gave me. And he gave me a little bit more and he gave me a few more things, but he didn't give me anything really. And I sat down and I tried to write a message. And how many of you preachers, you sit down and you try to write a message and you got nothing? Because God said, I want you to be sufficient on me and I want you to hear what I have to say. And I want you to be ready to hear everything that I have to say. So none of you is in this message and all of me is in this message because there's something. And then he began to download. And I love that, and, but I hate it all at the same time because it makes me so nervous. But I told them, I don't know why I'm nervous because God comes through every single time. And I know the word that he gave me tonight is about the deep things of God. This is Elevate Conference. And we all come here because we want to go to a greater level. But there are deep mysteries that God is trying to reveal to you and I. There are answers to questions that have not even been asked yet that are found in the deep places of his presence. He said God revealed them to us through his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, yes, even the deep things of God. And I started thinking about that, and and I went to Daniel chapter 2, and I'm going to take you to Daniel chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 17, but I'll set it up for you really quickly that Daniel... Daniel and his friends were in Babylon. They were in captivity. They were Hebrew. For those of you that don't know who they were, Daniel and and it was uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but their names were Hananiah and Mishael and and all that, you know, and uh, Azariah, which there's really cool stuff about them, but I'm not, that's not my message. Go listen to Bianca Olhoff. She has a great message about that. Uh, Because basically what happened was their Hebrew name meant one thing and the Babylonians changed their name to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that meant the direct opposite of what their Hebrew name was. So they were in captivity, but they had favor from God. How many of you know that even when you're in a place that you don't want to be, that the favor of God that's on your life will elevate you and no one can stop it? So they were in this place in captivity and they were wise men. And King Nebuchadnezzar was really a jerk. He had a dream and he had these sorcerers and all these wise men that could normally interpret dreams for him. So he went to them and he said, hey, I had a dream last night and it's really troubling to me. So I want you to tell me what it means. And they said, oh, great. Tell us the dream. He said, no. I want to know that you really know what it means. So I want you to tell me the dream first and then tell me what it means. Well, none of them could do that because how many of you know, false prophets can only go so far. The devil can give you an interpretation, but he can't tell you what the dream was. And the king was so mad. He said, you know what? I'm going to kill you. If you don't tell me what this is, I'm going to rip you limb from limb. I'm going to tear you apart. And they were all scared, but none of them were able to tell him what his dream was. And so he said, that's it. All the wise men in my kingdom, I'm done with you. Go kill all of them. 
even the ones that weren't involved in this little fiasco. And so the guys came to Daniel's house and they said, sorry, it's time for you to die. Because the, and he said, what's happening? What's going on? Well, you got to die because your friends over there in the palace, they couldn't interpret the king's dream. They couldn't tell him what it was. So you have to die now. And Daniel said, whoa, whoa, hold on. Can you go, let me talk to the king for a minute. And they said, sure. And he went to the king and he said, oh, king, please give me a few more days. Give me some time to seek my God and find the answer to this question. So we're going to pick up this story in, in verse 17. It said, Daniel went home. And he told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah what had happened. And he urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret. So they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. That night, the secret, don't you love the Holy Spirit? That night, it wasn't even the next day, that very night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. In verse 20, he said, praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings. He sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. And then he said this in verse 22. He reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in darkness, though he is surrounded by light. There are deep mysteries and things in God. And you know what? God gave me this, and I was thinking about it, and I said, well, Pastor Chris said we're supposed to, like, he felt like God told us to talk about faith. So I said, God, what does this have to do with faith? And the Holy Spirit said to me, faith is found in my presence. Faith is found in the mystery. Faith is found in the deep places. That's where your faith is birthed and grow. You got to do all the other things too, but there's times when you have to get into those deep places in his presence. And I started thinking about, okay, that's the deep things of God. The deep things of God. What are the deep things of God? What does that mean? How do you get the deep things of God? How do you access the deep things of God? How do you find them? Then I thought, how often am I living in the shallow things of God when I have access to the deep? How often are we living in the shallow when we have access to the deep? I want you to turn with me to John chapter 4. And we're going we're gonna to pick it up in probably verse 5. Jesus, you know, the Pharisees didn't like Jesus, if you didn't know. Jesus was in the, he was walking around, he was doing stuff. The Pharisees were like, wait a second, he's baptizing, he's getting, he's basically when you baptize someone, they became your follower. So when that says, in the beginning of that, it says that, um, that he was getting, he was baptizing more people, meant he was getting more followers than the prophets of the day. And the Pharisees, because they were fake, they didn't like it. They, they said, we don't like that. So Jesus just kind of left. He said, I'm not going to stick around here any longer. I'm leaving. He knew where to go. And he had to go to Samaria, through Samaria. So it says in verse 5 of John chapter 4, it says this. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sikar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside that well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came along to draw water. And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because the disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. And the woman was surprised because Jews normally don't have anything to do with Samaritans. And in addition to that, she was a woman and the men didn't have anything to do with them either. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. Why are you asking me for a drink? And I want to pause right there. When Jesus asks you for something, it's not because he's trying to get something from you. It's because he's trying to get something to you. A lot of you, God has asked you for something and you don't want to give it to him because you're like, oh no, that's going to cost me too much. Why would you want that from me? He said, oh, I don't want anything from you. I'm trying to give something to you that's greater than what you have in your hand. So this woman says, he says, hey, give me a drink. And she says, well, why? And Jesus replied to her in verse 10, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. And she said, but sir, you don't have a rope. You don't have a bucket. And this well is very, very deep. So where are you going to get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who built this well? How can you offer me better water 
than that. There are so many principles you can find in here that we're not going to go to tonight because I have too many other things. But man, how can you offer me better water than what I already have? I'm satisfied with where I'm at. I don't know if I need your water because I already have good enough water. How many of you sat in a place where you're like, I have good enough water. I don't need any better water. You think what you're going to give me is better? Preachers, you teach in the church and people come in and they're like, oh, well, I don't know if I need to. You tell them it's time for you to increase and they go, why do I need to increase? You tell Pastor Chris says it's time to prosper and people go, why do I need to prosper? I'm fine just where I'm at. No, you're not. There's always more. There's always greater. So what makes you think that you can give better water than him? And Jesus replied in verse 13, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And I heard that song, spring up, oh well, within my soul, spring up, oh well, and make me whole. And I started thinking about a well. And you know, I thought back to when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and, and we had a lot of land. We lived, we lived quite a few places in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, yeah, I go right for Tulsa, Oklahoma. So I grew up in Tulsa. We lived in Broken Arrow. We lived in Jinx, Oklahoma. And in Jinx, Oklahoma, my family had a lot of land. And I grew up in, uh, I was born in, I'm going to tell you, 1974. I'll be 50 next year, and I do not care. Um, but when I grew up, when I lived in Oklahoma in the early 80s, we did not have screens. We did not have technology. We were only allowed to watch television for one hour a day. We could watch Star Trek at five o'clock and that was all my mother would allow us to watch. We, so we played outside. Do I have anyone who used to play outside? We used to ride our bikes. We used to jump on the trampoline. We used to do all kinds of things. I used to go down to the neighbor's house because they had horses and I thought I was awesome because they told me I could ride their horses and I caught them and jumped on their bareback and I thought I was gonna be in a rodeo or something and I thought it was so awesome. We had a five acre field behind us and my dad let me ride the riding lawnmower, which was really cool. So I'd ride around thinking I was driving because I was 12, you know, and I'm doing that. Well, one day my brothers and sisters and I decided we were going to dig a well. Why? I have no idea, but we just decided we were going to dig a well. So we got some shovels and we started digging and we started digging and we started digging. Did anyone else ever try to dig a well or just me? Just me? Okay. Well, I thought at least I have one other person. <laughs> anyone else ever do anything like that? Can you say me? Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks. So we decided we we're going to try to dig this well because I thought, how far do you have to dig down to get water? I used to read a lot. So I'd read a lot of books. I think I read all the Little House on the Prairie books. And so I was like, I must have just come off of a Little House on the Prairie binge. If you don't know what that is, go read the books. You'll find them somewhere, probably in an archive somewhere. So we got our shovels and we started digging. And we started digging. The, we're digging the dirt and we're digging the dirt. And we dug and we dug and we dug. And the hole was probably about this deep after like... 30 minutes of digging and then the hole got to be this deep and then we're in the hole let's say that the hole is about up to up to my knee and I'm like oh we're getting somewhere we're about to find some water this is going to be awesome we dig and the the, the the hole got to be a little bigger it was almost up to my shoulders and we're digging and digging and I thought this is amazing we're going to find water this is going to be awesome we had well water which was really nasty and so I thought if I can dig this well maybe I'll find some better water than that water so I'm gonna dig this well so we're in there we're digging and we're digging and we're digging and we dug for a really long time and how many of you know we did not find any water how many of you are digging and digging and digging and digging and digging but you aren't finding any water so we're digging and we're digging and we're digging we're trying to find some water but guess what we weren't going to find any water you know why because if you're going to dig a well you have to dig down at least 100 feet to find anything and we surely didn't do that. I think we probably dug about four or five feet, which I thought was real good after a time. But if you went on to about 100 feet, let me show you the kind of water you're going to get. How many of you want this? You want me to raise your hand if you'd like me to serve you a glass of this kind of water. The Spirit of God is the same way. You have to dig and dig and dig because you have a well of living water on the inside of you. But some of you are settling for this kind of water because you didn't dig far enough. You dug and you dug and you dug and you dug and you said, you know what? I'm tired of digging and guess what? This is what you got, if you got anything at all. 
And some of you are satisfied with that. You go, oh, good, I read this first. Oh, this is awesome. And God's like, can you read a little bit more? Can you go a little bit further? Can you go a little bit deeper? Because what I have for you is not nasty, dirty water. What I have for you is pure, clean, living water. But you gotta dig deep. Because you can't dig 100 feet and get this kind of water. You gotta dig down to 100 to 800 feet. And they said the purest water comes after 1,000 feet. How many know nobody is digging a thousand foot well with a shovel? It's just not happening. And, and you sit there and go, there's a well on the inside of you. There's a well of living water that will sustain you. There's a well of living water that will strengthen you. There's a well of living water that will answer every question that you have. There's a well of living water that will comfort you. There's a well of living water that will restore you. There is a well of, why did, why did he say in the Psalms, he leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul by those waters. And you look at that and you go, there's a well on the inside of us so why aren't we digging deep enough to find it we have to dig deep enough to find it and so because I like to research things and do things I started researching a little bit and I found that there are five steps to digging a well so if anyone actually feels like going out and digging a well you can try it or we can just tell you or we can just decide that we're going to correlate this to the spirit of God and the well on the inside of us because if anybody really goes and digs a well, I did not preach this message. Okay, don't blame me. <laughs> Fran, did you hear that? Because I'm going to retain you. If anyone, no, don't come after me. So there's five fundamental steps for drilling a well. But those five fundamental steps for drilling a well can also be applied to us in our spiritual life. When we are, how many of you are ready to start digging some wells in your life? How many of you say that water I've been drinking is good, but I'm ready for the fresh, pure, clean water that comes from deeper and greater? The first step, number one, if you're taking notes, you have to locate the water. That sounds very simple, but how many of you know, even though there is water underneath us, very, uh, probably everywhere, there's some places that you just don't want to dig. So you have to locate the water. Go with me to John chapter 7, verse 37. John chapter 7, verse 37, in the Passion Translation, it said, Then on the most important day of the feast, the last day, Jesus stood and shouted out to the crowds, all you thirsty ones, come to me and drink. And he said this, believe in me so that rivers of living water will burst out from within you, flowing from your innermost being just like the scripture says. Let me read that again. He said, come to me and drink, believe in me so that rivers of living water will burst out from within you, flowing from your innermost being, just like the scripture said. And it's just that simple. Jesus was prophesying about the Holy Spirit. How many, if you don't know this part, and I'll tell you that the, the teacher in me, makes, me wants me to make sure that you know this part. When Jesus walked the face of the earth as the son of God, the Holy Spirit had not yet manifest in the earth. Jesus said, it is good for me to go because when I go, I'm going to bring another that is going to come and comfort you. He'll be the one that's the revealer of all truth, the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus was talking, the Holy Spirit was not yet manifesting in the earth, but he said, come to me because there's going to be living water that's flowing out from your innermost being, just like the scripture says. And he was prophesying that one day the Holy Spirit is going to come. The source of the living water is the Holy Spirit. And the location of that living water is in you because we know from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, have you forgotten that your body is now the sacred temple of the spirit of holiness or the Holy Spirit who lives in you? You don't belong to yourself any longer for the gift of God, the Holy Spirit lives inside your sanctuary. You are God's expensive purchase paid with tears of blood. So by all means, use your body to bring glory to God. Some of you are looking for what you're like, where's the living water? Well, the living water is the Holy Spirit and your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit. So that means that that living water is already in you. You say, I can't find it. I don't see it. I don't know. I don't know. Well, keep listening because I'm going to tell you how to access it. I'm not going to leave you hanging here. Once you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart. It's that simple. Some people go, oh, well, I don't believe in that tongue stuff. It doesn't really matter whether you pray in tongues or not. The Holy Spirit is in you. The minute that you say, Jesus, come into my heart, be my Lord and be my Savior. I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that you are Lord because Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit are all one. 
So that means that the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of you. And you are looking and going, where's that living water? Some of you have been real thirsty. You're parched and going, oh, I'm dry. And I, you ever go through a season where you just feel dry and you feel weary? And you, how come you're dry and weary when you have a source of living water that's on the inside of you? You just have to learn how to access it. So first, what you have to do is you have to locate the water. The second tool, the second thing you have to do is you have to use the right tools. And, and the Holy Spirit told me 2 Corinthians 10, 34, it says that we live in the natural realm. We don't wage a military campaign employing human weapons, using manipulation to achieve our aims. Instead, our spiritual weapons are energized with divine power to effectively dismantle the defenses behind which people hide. And I thought, why am I talking about weapons? I'm talking about tools. And he said, weapons are just tools that you use in battle. The principle is the same. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, meaning not earthly, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Why are we going to battle in the spirit using natural weapons? Why are we looking at natural battles and we aren't using the spiritual weapons God has us? God said, why are you trying to do spiritual things with natural weapons? using natural tools. And I thought, okay. He said, let me ask you a question. And I said, okay, let me ask you a question. God, God will ask you questions. How many of you know he already knows the answer? God did not want to know my answer. He said, you know, if you're gonna go to the beach, this would be a really great tool, wouldn't it? How many of you been on the beach? We're in Daytona Beach. Some of you are on vacation here. You traveled from all around. How many see these on the beach? The little kids are digging and they're having so much fun. And how, little kids can build with this. You can build a sandcastle. But how many of you know a sandcastle only lasts until the next wave comes and then it's gone? Some of us are trying to dig a well with a beach shovel. We're digging and digging and digging, but you're not going to go very far because this tool is not made to dig. We have to look and go. And I said, okay, well, that's good. And God said, well, why don't you try a garden trowel? Can you, how many of you think I could dig a thousand feet with this? I can assure you, I work out three times a week with weights, but I could not do that because it would be too hard. I don't even think I could dig six feet with this. Well, I don't think I could dig anything with this. I am not a gardener. I have a, I have a brown thumb. I used to tell them, I'm going to plant flowers. They all die because I forget to water them. I am a terrible plant person. That's why I have fake plants at my house because they don't die. But, but you know, you can't take a gardening trowel and go dig a well with a tool that it's not used for. This is great if you're Oma and you're digging a rose garden like she does, but this does not work if you're trying to do heavy duty things. What you got, even a shovel's not good. And I wish I was really cool. Like, I have some friends that if this was their sermon, they would have had a big excavator rolled up on the stage. And I actually, I'm not gonna lie. I tried to think about maybe I could, Pastor Chris would let me rent one that I could have a big excavator roll up on the stage and hop in and say, some of you are trying to dig with a beach shovel, but you gotta give an excavator to dig out that well. And I said, I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna settle for this. Some of you are trying to dig the spiritual well of the things God has for you with a beach shovel and you gotta go get an excavator that's made to dig deep into the earth. This thing is made to dig deep. This thing is made to dig. You gotta go get yourself an excavator. Some of you are gonna need to go to Walmart and find a little baby one and put it on your desk to remind yourself to get your excavator out. Why? Because you gotta use the right tool when you're digging a well. And I thought about that and I said, well, God, what are the right tools for digging a well? And he told me this. He said, well, there's three tools that you can use. He said, worship, praise, and prayer. He said, worship invites my presence. Praise is inhabited by my presence and prayer increases my presence. And I thought that's really good, God. So what do you mean? Worship invites the presence of God to come in and it's in his presence where you find those deep things, where you dig that well by getting in his presence, by going a little deeper, by going a little further. Some of you need a praise. How do I praise? How about just say, God, you are good. Your mercy endures forever. Why don't you open up the Psalm if you don't have your own words? There's a, don't read the Psalms that say, I am in distress. Oh God, where are you? That is not the kind of praise I'm talking about. But open up the Psalm that says, 
oh God, my God, how majestic is your name upon the earth. How about open up the Psalms that say, oh, he has laid a table before me in the presence of my enemies. How about open up the Psalm and say that under the shadow of his wing, how about open up your mouth and read the scripture and read the Psalms. How many, Pastor Chris said it last night, that Jesus is the word and the word is God and the word was God. How many of you don't you think he loves to hear his words said back to him? How about praise him and tell him, I don't know how you're going to come through, but I know you come through every time, all the time. I don't know that what I'm going to do because it looks impossible, but what's impossible for man is possible for you. Praise, the Bible says that when you worship him, when you open up your mouth and you begin to tell him how good he is and how great he is and how awesome he is and how amazing he is and how, but I don't think he feels very good. Let me give you a little secret. God is always good all the time. People are sometimes not good. That does not change the fact that God is good. And sometimes what we do is we look at what happens to us and we say, God, you can't be good if this happened to me. God is good all the time, every time, all day, every day, no matter what anyone else said, did, or will do to you. We serve a God who is good. And when we worship him and when we say, God, put on some worship music, Go put on some worship music and, and just sit there and don't even say, you say, well, I can't sing. Well, that's okay. God says, make a joyful noise. So when you sit there and you say, hey, God, I worship you, people go, no, you're supposed to have praise and worship. Praise is supposed to come first, then worship. No, worship invites his presence to come in. You can't even get to a place of praise. It says he inhabits the praises of his people, which means he lives there and dwells there. But if he didn't even come to your house yet, how is he going to live there? So you got to start with the praise. I wake up in the morning and I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Blessed are your works and that my soul knows very well. And begin and memorize the scriptures. Oh, I can't memorize scripture. How many songs you know when it comes on the radio and you sing every single line? Parents, you should have your kids memorize scripture. You should give them scripture and have them memorize the scripture. There are, thy word have I hid in my heart and I will not sin against thee. There are scriptures that my parents forced me to sit and learn when I was a young person before I walked away from God that are still in my heart at 49 years old because they made me learn them. And the Bible says it does not return void. And the Bible says, plant that seed in your heart. And so you got to get your kids, hey, I want you to learn, bribe them. You learn a scripture every week, I'll give you money. I'll give you $10 if you tell me the scripture. $10, you should give them $100. How many of you know that Bible and that word is greater than any money that you could ever give them? And you will give them, and I will tell you this, in my season when I didn't want to serve God, I would still hear those verses ringing in my ear. And in the seasons when I was walking with the Lord, and in the seasons when pressure would come, and I couldn't even breathe, and I had moments and times and days, and I had whole seasons when the pressure of life was so great, when I would wake up in the middle of the night, and I would feel like I was choking, I would be gasping for breath, dreaming that I was drowning, because the pressure was so great, and I couldn't even say the name of Jesus, but I could say the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And I would say the 23rd Psalm and sometimes I would just repeat it over and over and over. And I think I've shared this before. I remember even like we took Lauren on a trip and it was a fun trip and it was in that season. And I didn't even tell Pastor Chris this was going on until I was out of it, which was stupid because let me give you a hint. Whatever the devil can keep in darkness, he will keep you oppressed for a really long time. But the minute that you tell someone, it breaks his power because it's brought into the light. And I was dumb enough not to tell my husband that I was struggling. And I remember walking in New York City, which was one of my favorite places. I love New York City. And I couldn't even enjoy what I was doing because the enemy was going, and this is going wrong, and this is going wrong, and this is the pressure, and it was so much. And all I could do was in my head, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leave me beside still waters. And I was saying that under my breath for like at least 30 minutes straight and then until it lifted and was gone. How many of you know the word of God that is planted in your heart will not only dig a deeper well for you, but will sustain you in times of trouble? And you look at that and you have to say, okay, we got to worship because it invites his presence in. So reading those scriptures back to him worships him. And you tell him, I worship you, sing in the Holy Spirit. I love it. My friend told me, she said, she said, I was singing one time and I didn't know what it was. And I found out later I was singing in tongues and I didn't even know it. If you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, get filled with the Holy Spirit because I do not know how people survive without him. 
I have lived my life with God. I have lived my life without God. I have lived my life with him. I have lived my life without him. And there is no way that I will ever live without him another day of my life because of what I have walked through and the things that I've seen. And I look at people who don't believe in it and they don't wanna hear about God and they wanna do it on their own. And I'm like, you are so dumb. I love you, but I'm just telling you right now, I, I don't know how people make it without him because they have real problems and they have real things. But back to the tools that we have to use. Yet singing the spirit, praise is inhabited by his presence. We know that from Psalm 20, 20, 22, three. He inhabits the praises of his people. Praising God means telling him how wonderful and great that you believe he is. Because praise causes his presence to dwell within you at a greater level. That, that's where you're walking around all day. Well, worship and praise seem like the same thing. They do, but they're not. Worship is magnifying him, glorifying him, praises, telling him how awesome he is and all he has done. And you might say, I'm walking through a situation and it doesn't seem like I have anything to praise him for. Well, how about start praising him and see the situation turn around? We talk about it in church and everyone gets all hyped up. Oh, and then I tried it and it didn't work. It didn't say do it once. You gotta praise him every moment of every single day. I praise him in the morning. I praise him in the evening. I praise him in the good times. I praise him in the bad times. I praise, because I, I'm gonna let you in on something here. A, a lot of stuff that we deal with, can I just kind of meddle for a minute? The only thing that needs to change in it is us. I'm gonna, somebody needs to hear this because the Holy Spirit just said it. I, I used to, you know, Pastor Chris and I had to learn we had to work through some things in our relationship, you know? I mean, we got the New Jersey Italian, the Oklahoma Midwestern girl who hugs people in the grocery store. And, and we had to learn how to communicate. And our communication wasn't always great. And I would always blame him because he was a loudmouth Italian jerk. I'm not being disrespectful. And I, would, and I would get all upset by something that he said and I would sulk and I would be like, oh no, you know what, he, this is, you're awful. Like he's so mean and it's all this and I would wallow in it until one time somebody who I trusted, I was telling them about something that had happened and I was not wrong. And I'd be serious, I wasn't wrong. How many of you know you can be not wrong and still not be right? And they looked at me and they said, can I ask you a question? You just told me he ruined your weekend. How in the world would you let someone else's behavior ruin the time you were having? And it stopped me in my tracks and I said, I wish I would have learned that 16 years ago because I had to look in the mirror and go, it doesn't matter how he acts, it only matters how I act. And you wanna know what? We haven't had an argument, a fight or anything ever since. We haven't had any problems ever since. I said, I used to blame him because I'd be like, you burned the house down. You lit the fire, you burned it down. And then I thought, but how many times could I have just put that fire out and said, I poured you know, some lighter fluid on it and I watched it burn and then I blamed him for it. And you young married people learn this quick. Look in the mirror and change you. It is not a popular thing to say, but I will promise you this. When you become focused on yourself in a good way, what do I have to change about me? I don't care how, then I just started saying, I don't care how you act, you act however you you want. I'm going to just go and be me and it's not going to change me. How many of you know sometimes in your life you have to do that? We're blaming everybody else and all the other things and why didn't God come through and why didn't this happen and why didn't that happen? And we need to look in the mirror and say, you want to know what? The only person that I need to blame is me. Oh, the weapons were formed against me. That's great. I have a shield of faith I should have held up. I am not diminishing. Listen, I want to say this very clearly. I am not diminishing the pain that people have inflicted upon you. Please hear me very clearly, I'm not. But what I am saying is there are probably 90% of the things that happen, we can look in the mirror and choose to actually do what the word says and bless them that curse us, do good to them who despitefully use them, uh, speak words of life that are like honey and good for the soul. We look and we say all these things. We we're good at preaching the word to other people, but what happens when it's our turn? So we can take a good look in the mirror. Sorry, that wasn't, I don't know where that came from. Somebody, one of y'all pulled it out of me. So, you know, just take that for free. But here's the thing. You have to look and go, you have to praise and then you have to pray because prayer is not just talking to God. I think it's important to understand that prayer is talking to God, but it's not only talking to God because prayer is a two-way conversation. But so often we go in there to say our prayers. We have an agenda. Hey God, I'm gonna pray. Let me pray for my family. I pray for my husband. I pray for my kids. I pray for my church. I pray for my leaders. I pray for this. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, and I'm out the door because I spent time with God. No, I did not. I did not stop and allow him to speak back to me. 
See, how many of you had conversations with someone that's a one-way conversation and you can never get a word in edgewise and pretty soon you don't wanna talk to them anymore? Well, the good news about God is how many of us do that to him, but it doesn't matter how often we don't let him speak, he's still trying to talk to us. He doesn't stop talking just because we stop listening. And we have to understand that. So the tools that we use, worship, praise, and prayer. The third step is this, you have to dig at the right location. If you're taking notes, dig at the right location. There are two principles to be found here. The first one is this, you gotta dig. Digging isn't easy. Digging isn't, it's hard sometimes to dig. Sometimes you gotta dig when you don't feel like digging. Sometimes you gotta press in when you don't feel like pressing. Sometimes you wanna go, forget everything else. I'm gonna go sit on my couch. I just wanna watch TV. I just wanna eat some potato chips. I just wanna eat some ice cream and I don't care. I just wanna wallow for a minute. Well, that's fine. Wallow for a minute and then kick yourself in the booty and get off the couch and say, now I'm gonna dig my well because I gotta dig. If I want the deep places of God and I want the deep, things of God, you gotta dig. The second thing is you have to dig in the right location. See, I thought about this uh, because I was thinking about when I I was looking at wells and things like that, there's something else that's very similar to a well, but it's not in the same location as a well. It's similar to a well, it's called a cistern. Has anyone ever heard of a cistern? If you look at a well and a cistern from the, the level, they might look exactly the same. Both of them are holes with water in them. However, a cistern is much more shallow than a well. And the cistern does not produce living water coming from underneath. What a cistern does is it catches runoff water that just goes. And a lot of times we didn't dig in the right location because we only dug a cistern. We got a little bit of a glimpse of glory and said, oh yes, this is it. And six weeks later, we're living off that little glimpse of glory when God was like, why didn't you wake up and spend time with me today? I don't even just have a glimpse of glory. I have the whole glory for you to experience. And we trick ourselves into thinking a cistern is good enough, but it's not. Because you know, you look at this and I thought about in Jeremiah, I think it's Jeremiah chapter two, when Jesus, when God said this, he said, my people have done two evil things. One, they've abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. See, a cistern looks like it's living water, but it's not because a well is pulling up water constantly, fresh water from the inside. A cistern, all it's doing is catching what's left over and it's stagnant and it may look good for a moment. It may be able to sustain you for a moment, but stagnant water, if left for a long time, gets nasty. Go look at all those little ponds and lakes and stuff in Florida and how many of you would drink out of those? Not me. But a lot of us are settling for cistern water because it looks like there's water there. You gotta say, no, I don't want a cistern. I gotta find the right location because I gotta dig deep. And for time's sake, we're gonna go to the next point, which is this. The fourth step is this. You have to protect your well. And, and, and the actual well, like I changed it because the actual cell, well said, it said you have to protect the excavated walls and you have to install a filter. You have to protect what you've already dug because we know that the enemy has one assignment and it's to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But we also know from Isaiah 59, 19 that when the enemy comes in like a flood that the Spirit of God holds up a standard against him. And we have to look at that and go, you know what? We have to not allow him to come and kill, steal, and destroy our water. Not allow him to come. The standard is simply the Word of God. See, this word of God, this is how you protect your well, with this word of God. You hold this word and you hold it close and you hold it tight. And I know we say this a lot, but it bears repeating because some of you have heard this 5,000 times and still do not do it. When you don't look at the word and say, what does the word say? You're allowing your walls of your well to become eroded. When you look at what the word says, because why? You have to look and say, I feel defeated. Well, the filter of the word says that I am victorious. Well, I feel sick, but the filter of the word says I am the healed of the Lord. I feel weary, but he says he gives strength to the weary. Oh, I feel broken. I feel impoverished, but he said he died so that I could become rich. I feel like this relationship isn't going to work out. And he said, the word says, I'm a God of, what standard are we holding up when the enemy comes against us? Are we letting him come in and destroy our well? Are we letting him say, you know what? I I don't want to do this anymore. This is awful. Well, I have news for you tonight. Maybe you say, I have not protected my well. My well has become eroded. My walls are my well. Well, I have good news for you tonight. 
And I want you to really lock in and pay attention for just a moment. I know you are. Abraham dug wells for his family. Abraham, back in the New, if you go read Genesis, Abraham, if you remember, he and his uh, cousin Lot were together. Remember, they separated and, and he said, you take whatever you want, Lot. You can have what you think is the best land because whatever land I walk on is the most blessed land. And he dug wells of provision for his family. But after Abraham died, the Philistines who lived in the neighboring communities, they did not want that family to ever have a chance to prosper again. So what they did was they came and they filled in all the wells with dirt. Now you figure a well has to between 100 and we said 800 feet to bring water. So all the water, all the dirt that got dug out of the well had to get put back in the well to stop it up. If you catch me there, sometimes a little bit of dirt gets thrown in your well and you go, oh my God, it's over. Well, you have 800 more feet of living water. Stop letting a little handful of dirt stop you from your destiny and from your purpose. But what they did was they, they stopped up the well. Well, then Isaac decided he was gonna go back. Isaac said he was gonna go back to the, to the place where his dad was. So in Genesis 26, Isaac came back to the land of his father but it was not in the same condition as it was that he remembered it because the walls were all stopped up. They produced no water. They produced no life. Some of you are in here tonight and you say, I have dug wells in my life, but somehow along the way, the enemy came in and he threw dirt in my well and I let him and now my wall, my well is filled with dirt. My well is stopped up. There is no more living water for me. But you may, some of you say, my well's about half full of dirt right now, but it looks like that nasty water and I don't want to drink it. Are you following me? So Isaac didn't look at the wells and say, oh, woe is me, it's over, let's go back. No, you want to know what Isaac did? In verse 17 of Genesis 26, he said this, Isaac departed and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and he dwelt there. And Isaac digged again the wells of his father, which they had digged in the days of Abraham, his father. For the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham and called their names after the names by which his family. Isaac said, I don't really care that it looks like this well isn't producing water. I happen to know that the living water that's under all this dirt is still there. So now I'm gonna get my shovel and I'm gonna start digging it out. Some of you have your well is packed to the brim with dirt. You just gotta go get your shovel and start digging. Say, I don't care how long it takes. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what happens. I'm going to dig my well. I'm going to keep digging. I'm not going to let him, I'm not going to be discouraged. I, and it said this, and it said, and Isaac's servants digged in the valley and found there a well of springing water. So they found the water and the herdsmen of Gerar did strive with them saying, this water is ours. And he called the name of the well Isaac because they strove with him. And it says, and then they digged another well. He didn't just stop with one. He said, every well my daddy gave me, I'm gonna go and unearth. I don't care what the enemy has tried to do. Some of you got some wells in your life that the enemy has come and tried to stop up and you have to get some tenacity and say, no, I'm gonna get my shovel and I'm gonna start digging and I'm not stopping with one. One might have fed all of his, watered all of his people, but he said, no, every single one. And he didn't care what they said. He didn't care who tried to stop him. He kept digging. And then he said, let me go find the next one that the enemy stopped up and I'm gonna dig that one up too. And he dug and he dug and he dug and he dug and he didn't even have fancy shovels and he dug these wells. It might look like your well is stopped up. Maybe your well of your dreams is stopped up. Maybe the deep things of God used to be a reality to you. And lately you're just like, I, I don't even know. Wait, I, I, all I can squeak out is Jesus. And that's okay. That's okay. Get a baby shovel and say, I don't really care. I'm gonna get a baby shovel and dig till I can take the big shovel and dig. And then I'll wait till I can get the excavator. Do it where you're at and just go for it. Because it says this, you know, I thought about this and the Holy Spirit is so good to give me that portion of this because, you know, there was a scripture that it was funny when we talked about me coming for your birthday Sunday. God gave me a word for your house. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord. And in this house, it, well, there will be peace and prosperity. And, I, and he gave me that for, for your house. And I said, okay, well, God will give me a chance to release it. Well, all of a sudden we were getting ready for conference and, and Lauren was like, I really like this scripture. 
and you'll see it on all the back of the merchandise. And I was like, oh yeah, that's a great scripture. And I was like, oh wait, that's the scripture God gave me. And if you can see it, you can zoom on it in on a different camera. It says the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former. And this place will be a place, the ultimate, wait, what does it say? It's in the amplified sea in the former. And in this place, I shall give the ultimate peace and prosperity says the Lord. And I thought about that and I was like, well, God, what I'm talking about doesn't have anything to do with this scripture. And then he gave me this portion and he said, it has everything to do with it. See, that scripture was talking about the temple. And I've been thinking about the temple for about a year now because the temple was, how many of you remember when Solomon built the temple, he built this incredible, it took him seven years to build the most ornate, beautiful temple that had ever been built until he built his own house and he made that a little prettier than God's. But the temple was something to behold. People not only came to see Solomon, I think they came to see what he built. It had everything, it was stunning, it was spectacular. But then over time, the Israelite people were taken into captivity, their land was overrun and the temple was destroyed. And here come these people who were captives. They were captives and they were prisoners and they didn't have any money. How many know prisoners, most of them don't have money. They didn't have anything. It wasn't like now where you get a little bank account people can deposit money into. Back then, you were a captive, which means that all of your earthly possessions were gone. But their hearts were, they said, it is not right that the temple of the Lord is in ruins. We need to rebuild. And there was a big rebuilding process that took place. But I would be willing to bet that the temple that they built was not necessarily as beautiful as the original temple to the eye I would be willing to bet that the temple that they built, although it was for the Lord, was probably not as grand as Solomon's temple. One, they didn't have the resources. They didn't have the manpower. They didn't have the connections, but they built it their best. And then Haggai stood up in Haggai chapter two, and he declared this, the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. Wait, you mean the, the, the glory of the house that doesn't seem as fancy and doesn't seem as good? Some of you say, oh, I had a well of living water before, but the well that I have now doesn't look as good as it was back then. I'm here to tell you that the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former glory, says the Lord. And in this place will be the ultimate peace and prosperity. And let me tell you this, Haggai's prophecy came to pass because it was in the latter house. It was in the second temple that Jesus Christ in the form of man walked in the temple, the manifest physical presence of God in that temple. See, the other temple had the glory of God. This one had the presence of God. And you look at that and you go for some of you in this place. And I sat at me and God just makes me cry when I'm praying because there's people in this room today and you're looking at the mess of where your life is right now. And you're saying, there's no way that my life can ever be as good as it was. But guess what? It doesn't have to be as good as it was. The latter glory of your house will be greater than the former, says the Lord. And in this place will be ultimate peace, will be ultimate prosperity. Don't worry that it doesn't look as good. Don't worry that it doesn't feel as good. Don't worry that it's not enough. The latter glory will be greater. The stopped up well still has living water under the inside of it, but you have to go dig it up. Maybe your life had to be rebuilt upon the way and that doesn't matter. Unearth the well that's inside of you. And step number five is install a pump. I couldn't make that any prettier. Step number five is to install a pump. And let me explain this to you because you're gonna like it when I tell it to you. The pump's job is to push the water from the well up into a place of storage until you need it. Kind of reminds me of the Holy Spirit. How about you? The one who searches the deep things of God. The one who looks at what you need and holds it for you until you need it. Because we already know that God went into our future, saw what we needed, brought it back into our present, and it's lying there waiting for us when we go along the way. That's why nothing that we face, no situation, no circumstance, comes as a surprise, and there's always provision waiting. The Holy Spirit... I want to go back to that first verse that I said, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. But as it is written, the eye has not seen, 
ear has not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. And if you'll just indulge me for a moment, I want to look at verse 10 in the Amplified Classic Version because it says it like this. Verses 10 and 11, yet to us, God has unveiled and revealed them by and through his spirit. For the Holy Spirit searches diligently, exploring and examining everything, even sounding the profound and bottomless things of God, the divine counsels and things hidden beyond man's scrutiny. For what person perceives, knows and understands what passes through a man's thoughts except the man's own spirit within them. Some of you say, no one understands me. You're right. No one's supposed to understand you because no one can understand you except the spirit of God within you. And he said this, just so no one discerns or comes to know and comprehend the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit moves the deep things of God. It pulls them up out of that deep place and keeps them in a reservoir for when we need them. How many of you have been just walking through and all of a sudden you just hear the Holy Spirit speak to you? Some of you have been hearing the Holy Spirit talk to you and you don't know it's the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, it is. He stores up mysteries. He goes and he pulls things out of there and he goes, let me keep it here for when you need it. Oh man, I know that tomorrow night you're gonna be in your room and you're gonna be crying because the loneliness is gonna overtake you and I'm gonna have that scripture ready that there's a comfort, there's a peace that passes all understanding that will dwell in your heart and your mind. The Holy Spirit knows that you're going to be walking through a situation that's difficult in your finances and he's got it already stored up going, hey, I'm more than enough. I'm more than enough. I'm more than enough. He's storing up the mysteries of God. He's the pump that moves the mysteries from the deep to a place where you can use them. See, some of you have walked with God for a really long time. Some of you in this room have ex- lived in the deep things. You've lived in the deep. You say, I know the deep, Apostle Shirley. You lived in the deep. I have to say this really quick. Coach, I know you're watching online. That part about the ladder house being greater, God told me that was for you today. Sorry, he's watching online. I have to tell him this. I have to be obedient. Please forgive me for a minute. Coach, God told me to tell you that the ladder glory of your house will be greater than the former and what the enemy meant to kill, steal, and destroy will become greater than you ever asked or thought or anything that you could have imagined. What the enemy tried to destroy in your physical body, God will do incredible miracles through you because of that. What he tried to destroy in your family and in your house, the latter glory is going to be greater. The latter glory is going to be greater. I'm so happy for you. I was sitting in my office and God said, tell coach that. And which coach? He knows because he's watching. I know which coach it is, and he knows too. Some of you go, who's coach? None of your business. Some of you said, I'm a coach, and I want that word. Good, well, go take it for yourself. I don't have to say your name for it to be for you. If that word's for you, you say, God, that word's for me, and I want that word. Go take it. You go, oh, well, that word was for someone else. I've been sitting in a meeting, and I don't really care that you said this is for Mary. That name is Liz, and I've taken that word for me. Some of you have walked with God. You've lived in the deep. You know the deep things of God. Bishop, it's been a road. You walked. You kept digging. Even when it was hard, you kept digging. You never stopped digging. You keep walking, you keep going, I don't know, God, how was this? I think back to when we talked to Brother John Hobson, he was, in, he, was, he was a pastor in Kentucky and many years ago, he said this to us, he goes, I felt like I was running uphill, dragging everything behind me, but then one moment I stepped over and I ran downhill for the rest of the time. And I speak to you right now that those times of walking up the hill, dragging that burden, Lady B, you're, this is you too, I know you're watching right now, we, both of you right now, 
that burden that you've had to carry and shoulder and you've had to figure it out and you've had to walk and you said, God, this is ridiculous because I know you didn't tell me it was supposed to take this long. And he said, don't worry, don't worry. You keep digging, you keep watching, you keep going, you keep going, you keep going. My grace is sufficient for you. It will sustain you, it will carry you. And you're gonna reach that moment. When is that moment gonna be? I have no idea, he did not tell me that part. But he said, you keep walking because you're going to take one step over and you're going to run downhill for the rest of your life. In the name of Jesus. Maybe you say, I I don't know if I've touched the deep things of God, but uh, I've tasted and seen that he's good. I believe he's good. Some of you are sitting in here right now. And, and you've, you've tasted him, you're like, I know God is good, but you said, I haven't been able to just jump all the way in. I haven't been able to go deep. Let me explain one thing to you. Deep is relative. See, what's deep for me may not be deep for you or may not. Don't look at someone else's deep and say, oh, I guess I'm not deep because they're real deep. No, 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 no. See, if Jessica stands up, she's about five foot tall. Her husband, no, you don't have to stand up. I was just gonna say, her husband's like six foot four, something like that. I'm somewhere in the middle. What's deep for her may not be as deep for me and will definitely not be as deep for him. Because if we're standing in water, if it's over her head, it's gonna come up to here on me. And if it's over my head, it's gonna come up to his shoulders. Don't look at someone else's deep where they're at and compare it to you and say, that's not deep. God gives you your level of deep. And the only way you can find your level of deep is to dig and to go search it out and to seek it out and to find some of you in this room tonight don't even know what I'm talking about you're talking about wells and you got an excavator and you're talking about mysteries and you're talking I have no clue what you are even saying hey guess what it's okay I promise you this tonight that I'm going to issue every one of you an invitation to go a little bit deeper See, I remember when when the disciples were out in the middle of the boat and the storm was going all around them and Jesus came up walking next to him. And Peter looked at Jesus and he saw something that he wanted, a place he had never been. And he was smart enough to say, hey, Jesus, can you ask me to come out there with you? Peter didn't say, hey, Jesus, can I come out there with you? He said, Master, bid me to come because he knew that with one word, he could step out of that boat and he could defy the laws of nature and he could walk on water in a supernatural place. And I'm gonna tell you right now, you don't even have to ask tonight. I'm issuing you an invitation. Come, go a little deeper. Do me a favor all over this place. I want you to bow your head and I want you to close your eyes because there's people in this room. I don't want anyone looking around because this is a moment just for you. I'm not even gonna open my eyes. Okay, I never do that. I'm not even gonna open my eyes. I don't see anything right now. I want everyone's eyes closed. I don't care if you're on the platform. I don't care if you're in the media booth because this is a moment for you and God. If you are in this place today and you say, I do not know what you're talking about. I, I don't even know if I'm saved. I don't even know what save means. I've never asked Jesus into my Lord. I don't, even, I, I don't even know. I'm not even gonna know if you, if you raise your hand. I'm not gonna know because I'm not gonna look. I've never done this before. I've never not looked. But right now, if that's you, he's calling you. He said every bit of pain that you've walked through, every bit of turmoil that's been every bit of that, that thing in your head that just goes round and round and round in that pressure, he said, I'm here to break that pressure right now. And if that's you right now and you say, I never asked Jesus to be the Lord of my life, all Jesus wants is a relationship with you. He wants you to say, yeah, I'm willing to start walking with you on the water. We all know that Peter, he fell in the lake because his faith just didn't keep, his faith got him out there, but it didn't keep him out there. And that is not the point. The point is he took a step and did something that you and I have never done. So if that's you right now and you say, that's me, I wanna know Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. I need him, I've lived my life without him. I had somebody the other day, they said, something's been missing in my life. And I said, yes, something's been missing in your life is Jesus. And I'm so passionate about this because I don't want you, I want you to go to heaven, sure. But I don't want you to live life anymore in this place. 
of pressure and in this place where you feel like, I want you to have that person who'll never leave you or forsake you. So if that's you right now, would you just raise your hand again? I don't don't even know what he's looking. If anybody's looking, smack them because I, I don't want anybody looking around. I'm not looking around. I'm following my own thing here. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand right now. Then I want you to put your hand down and I still want you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I want us all to say this, whether you raised your hand or not, I want everyone in this room. So I don't want anyone to feel bad or feel self-conscious. I want you to know Jesus. I want you to know Jesus. Can we just say this together? Say, dear Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. And I believe that you died for my sins. I may not understand, but I choose to believe you. I ask you to come into my heart, to come into my life, to be my Lord and to be my savior from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray. And right now I want you just to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you're in here today and maybe you say, my well has gotten a little dirt in it. Or maybe I stop, but I want to start again. I just feel like I want you to raise your hand right where you're at. Raise your hand right where you're at and say, that's me tonight. Say, that's me tonight, right here. How many of you believe that if you just tell him that I want to start digging again, he's going to give you the grace to dig? You say, oh, you're not going to lay hands on me? No, I'm not. I don't feel directed to do that. I only do that when God tells me to. He did not tell me to do that. So I want you right now, just say this, say, God, I'm done saying where I'm at. I'm gonna dig a little deeper. I'm gonna dig a little further. Show me the mysteries. Show me the deep things. I'll do the work from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Come on. Thank you for listening to this episode of Relevant Live with Pastor Chris Sarnum. If you are interested in learning more about Relevant Church, you can visit us at relevantfl.org. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel to hear more messages like this one every single week. Thanks for listening.